and then we can get, uh, get right into it. Let me ask you to bow your heads. Let's pray before our God. Father, we thank you that you are the wise God. You're the God who knows what things are. You know what matters. You know what wisdom is, and you give us wisdom. I pray that we would seek it in these next few weeks together, that we would find it, and find it in you. We find it in the world around us. We find it in ourselves. We find it in Christ ultimately. We pray that you would give us, by your power, more wisdom. Preserve us from folly. For we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So wisdom. We come to a class here. It's going to be about 10 weeks or so on wisdom itself. Why wisdom? Uh, well, the elders and I made a judgment. Mostly my judgment, I suppose. They didn't say no, so I went ahead and did it. Uh, that we need wisdom. It's a good time. It's a good time. It's always a good time, of course. And uh, today, we're, we're going to be looking at, I gave you this, this handout here. Uh, you have a schedule. You can put that aside. Uh, but you'll notice, if, as you put it aside, that we're going to be looking at books of the Bible. We're going to be looking at topics of wisdom. We're going to kind of be doing the whole, the whole shebang. Today, however, I gave you this, so you don't have to open your Bibles too much unless you want to. Uh, Job 28, a key text about wisdom. Before we get there, just an outline for us. We're going to look at four things today about wisdom. The importance of wisdom, definition of wisdom, the problem of wisdom, the solution of wisdom. Four things in 30 minutes or so. We'll see if we can get it done. Uh, if, if we don't, you'll, you'll tell me and uh, we'll, we'll stop as we can. But <clears throat> we live in a society today where, you know, everybody has a view of what good is. Everybody has a view of what right is. We live in a society that is pluralistic. You probably know the term, right? Multiple religions, multiple beliefs. Your neighbors, you have different beliefs. Christians have different beliefs than other Christians. And in a society like ours, people always love to fight about morality. They love to fight about what's right. They love to fight about what's wrong, what's good, what's bad. You see it everywhere. You know this. What's funny is, if you look at the ancient world, the Greeks, the Romans, the Jews, the Egyptians, all of them, the Babylonians, they actually had more consensus about what was good and what was bad. Way more consensus than we do. And I think because they had that, they saw something. They saw something that we don't see. They saw a, a really crucial point because they had all the same morals. They weren't fighting over morality too much. Because of that, they were able to realize that actually morality does not address morality itself, as crucial as it is and important as it is, does not address most of the situations you face. Whatever you think the rules are, everything the laws are, everything moral life is, the vast majority of important choices you make every single day is not covered by those rules. I've drawn these circles here. They're not great circles, but they are circles. This is a circle of dots. Let this circle represent, if you don't mind, let the circle represent the 613 case laws, what we call the mitzvot. That simply is the cool Hebrew word for a law. Right? There are 613, some say a little more, some a little less, 613 laws in the Bible, in the Old Testament, in the Mosaic Law, in Torah. 613. You probably face more than 613 decisions you have to make every single week. Certainly you do, if you think about it. And so here's the issue. A lot of folks want to look at the Bible and say, here we go, we have the law. But the law is like the little dots. The law simply is 
the number of dots you have. 613 dots, points in a circle. How many points are there in a circle? Math question. How many points? Infinite. Yes, very good, very good. That there are an infinite number of points in a circle. And, and really, this is the point I'm trying to get at as we start off is that we need way more than just morality. We need way more than just good and bad. We need way more than simply uh, rules. You need something that we don't talk about today, which is why we're doing the class. You need wisdom. You need wisdom. You need wisdom. Um, our, our secular world talks a lot about science. You know, they don't necessarily use the laws of morality, but maybe the Newton's laws, scientific laws. And they say, look, you just have the science facts. You have the data. This is what you got. And that's what, that's what they do. What do the churches do? We talk about morality, behavior, good, right, wrong. But what we need is wisdom. It's not science. It's not morality. It's something different. It's not the same as being good. It's not the same as having knowledge. You're going to make a muck of your life if you don't have it. Let me show this to you. Uh, verse 13 from Job 28. Verse 13 right here. Now, <clears throat> you may have a lot of questions. That's great. Uh, but we, we will, because of our time limit, I'll need to cut through uh, unless you have really, really solid questions. Greg, you may want some of that. Uh, verse 13, Job 28. Wisdom. Man does not know its worth. It's not found in the land of the living. The deep says it's not in me. The sea says it's not with me. Cannot be bought for gold. Silver cannot be weighed. It cannot be valued in the gold. Gold and glass cannot equal it. Here's the point. Of course, you get all what he says. It's poetry, right? It's poetry. He's saying, wisdom is worth everything you have. You cannot find it by exploring science. You cannot find it by looking at the planet. You cannot find it by exploring the deep of the ocean, the Marianas Trench. Wisdom is infinitely more important than all the power, all the fame, all the wealth in the world. It's far more important than you having the perfect life. You know that? I mean, if you had all the problems you think you have fixed, the health issues you have, the family issues you have, the friendship issues you have, the parenting issues you have, if you had all of those fixed but didn't have wisdom, worthless. Would somebody be able to close those, uh, those doors? Thank you all. <clears throat> Far more important is the ability to handle and flourish in life whatever the circumstances are. That's vital, friends. Why? Think about it. Only a, Think about the number of people you know who have the perfect life situation. Can you think of anybody who has the perfect life situation? I can't. Maybe you can. That's great. If you can, how long have they had it? And how long do you think they don't have it? Right? Nobody keeps their great life situation. The celebrities don't. Wisdom is infinitely more important, friends, than all the fame, all the good that you can have. You know this because there are people who are smart. There are people who have charisma. There are people who work hard. You know the proverb, right? Look at the ant. Don't be a sluggard. Work hard. You know plenty of people who work themselves the bone, who work more than 80 hours a week. And what are they? Are they, are they happy? Are they wise? Not necessarily. Are they living the good life? Not necessarily. Right? You have plenty of people who are beautiful, who have credentials, who have talent, and they've gone nowhere. They've gone nowhere with it. And you have people who do little, they have, they have little talent, little charisma, little intellect, little beauty, and they do very well. What's the difference? Wisdom. Wisdom is a difference. And that's why the very first thing we have to realize here is that wisdom is not the same as morality. 
Wisdom is not moral goodness. Let me give you one example here. Let's say you know a poor family. Maybe you're, that's yourself. But let's, let's say you know a family who's really just stuck in poverty. And you're a good person. You're a Christian. You're kind. You want to help them. How do you help them? How do you help them? I mean, I bet if, if I, if we don't have time, I bet if I surveyed y'all, you'd give me at least five or ten different answers that could be right. Maybe it is right to get them a job at your business. Maybe it is right to take them down to the unemployment bureau. Maybe it is right to uh, help uh, any addiction they may have. Maybe it is right to give them money. Maybe it is right to do X, Y, or Z. Who knows, though? Who knows? It's a good thing to want to help, help somebody out of poverty. But you can do it totally ethically, totally by the book, and ruin their lives. Because you don't know how poverty works, right? They keep buying the lotto tickets. Or, and you're, you're, not, you're not even thinking about that. You're not even seeing that as a problem, but just by way of example. See, it's not enough to be people who have Christian principles. It's not enough to be people who have Christian morality. You have to have wisdom. You have to be people who are wise or you're going to ruin people. You're going to ruin your own life. You're going to ruin the people around you. That's because it's not just different than, than, than morality, but you need it way more. You need it so much. Wisdom is something that occurs frequently. And again, I apologize for bad handwriting, but you'll, you'll, uh, you can deal with it, right? It, it occurs frequently. Some decisions you make in your life this week, today, just require knowledge. And if you had knowledge, you could choose the right car, the right medicine. That's great. Other decisions you face, tell the truth at work, right? It's a moral choice. But most decisions you make, the rules won't help you and the facts won't help you. Who do you marry? Do you even get married? What career should you go into? What school should you go to? Should you stay here at this house where you've lived or should you move somewhere else? Do you go to a different job? Do I hold back or do I take the risk? Do I talk to person A or person B? And a wrong decision in any of those moments can be disastrous for you. But the rules don't tell you what to do. The, the Bible does not tell you, marry person X. The Bible does not tell you, take this job here. And we live in a culture where the secular science thinks if you just have the science, you'll do it. You'll get it right. It doesn't give. It does, science doesn't do this. It doesn't give the answers on the, on the, to these questions. Neither does church-based morality. People in the church will just be, just be good. That doesn't help either. It's good to be good. Yeah, of course it's good to be good. Yes. Don't steal. Okay, good. Check that one off. But that doesn't tell me which job to take. Doesn't tell me, should I stay or should I go? We are perishing for lack of wisdom. That is what the Bible tells us, right? We perish for lack of wisdom. So I guess the first thing is you see the importance of it. That's my 10 minute spiel on the importance of wisdom. You need it. We all desperately need it. So, what, is, what does wisdom mean? You read through Job 28, right? Secondly, definition of wisdom. And I'm only going to touch on a couple of things here. We're going to get much more. You might say every time we meet for Sunday school, next 10 weeks, we're going to learn a little more about the definition of wisdom, which is so deep. But I'll give you maybe three things to start off with today. Look at Job 28. You see throughout it the word wisdom pop up. But look at verse 20. You can look at verse 12. You look at verse 20 to do the same thing. <clears throat> I'll do verse 20. From where then does wisdom come? And where is the place of understanding? You have two words there. You have wisdom and you have understanding. And uh, they kind of hit slightly different things. You know, this, this word understanding is the Hebrew word. I'll give it to you right now. 
Bina or bin ya, you can, you can write different ways, but bina is how I would say it. Um, and, and that word understanding means how things work. How things really work. How things really happen. But this word for wisdom, if, I won't give you all the Hebrew words today, that's next week, but it's a word that means to notice Distinctions. So if, if part of the definition of wisdom is knowing how things really work, second part is notice the distinctions. To make tiny, tiny distinctions. I mean, you do this all the time. When you do your taxes, you have to make really, really fine distinctions. Do I use this form or that form? Do I write this off or that off? You have to make really fine distinctions. If you, if you work uh, on your home, you know there's a fine distinction between cooking something at 350 and cooking something at 400. You know there's a fine distinction between that. And what does that make the difference between? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know either. You, you know, women mostly, right? Uh, there's a distinction here. Exactly, right? I always pick the, 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 what, what looks like the shortest line at the store. It's always the longest one. I, I, I'm not, I don't know why. I'm not wise, right? But, but, but part of wisdom is being able to notice little distinctions. It's what Sherlock Holmes does. You know, he, he walks in the room. It's all a mess. And he says, oh, you can't see this right here? This little hair? This little five-inch thing? It's not ten inches. It's five inches. Oh. And he knows it. He sees clues. We just see blur. But he knows what happened. That's what wisdom is. It's being able to know how things really happen and it's knowing how things really work. It's being able to make the fine distinctions. Thirdly, um, third part of wisdom that we'll get to today, there's a place in Proverbs 8. I almost use Proverbs 8 because it's just as good as Job 28 for kind of a good overview of this topic. But Proverbs 8 says, <clears throat> By me, kings reign. By me, kings reign. That's Proverbs 8. We'll look at it down the road. So here's the deal. Wisdom is not just knowing how things work. It's not just being able to make the distinctions, but it's actually knowing what to do about it. How do you help the couple in poverty? How do you help? Right? Oh, you got to make the distinctions. you got to know how poverty really works. One of the great writers on wisdom defined it this way. Here's, if you want me to give you a summary definition, here's the kind of uh, you know, phrase definition we can start off with. Great summary, I think. Becoming competent with the realities of life. Becoming competent with the realities of life. I'll even repeat it three, I never repeat things three times. Becoming competent to the realities of life. It's that key, right? The ability, you might say, to do the right thing when the rules don't apply and the way of thinking about it. Now, look, if this is wisdom, and you're like really thinking about it, you're going to say, hey, uh, I haven't been working on that. I mean, how many of us have been working on the ability to notice distinctions in life? How often in your Christianity, in your prayer life, have you said, God, give me the ability to notice the details? Help me know how things really work. Help me to know, maybe we do this last part, but the point I'm making, friends, is that you and I don't work on being wise. We work on being good. We think that's hard enough. It is hard enough, right? We don't work on being wise. 
And the Bible yet, the Bible continually says, you need wisdom. Let me give you one, I hate to, I'll give you one example. Remember David, 1 Samuel, who went through in the evening service a few years back? 1 Samuel 15 to 17. I'll just give it to you a little bit here. Read it at your ledger, not now. <clears throat> he, he's fighting his son, you know. Remember his son Absalom uh, has revolted? He's he not revolting, he's very beautiful, but he has revolted against David, and he's taken power, right? Coup d'etat. David's fleeing, he's in the wilderness, he has some of his friends. And the worst thing, really, is that one of David's counselors, Ahithophel, has, you know, defected from David to Absalom. He's going to be Absalom's wise guy, his counselor. Now, Ahithophel is totally wise, unbelievably wise. David says, I have no hope as long as that guy's with Absalom. So he, he comes to his friend Hushai. He says, hey, Hushai, I got a job for you. Go back to Absalom's court, pretend to defect, pretend to be on their side, and then do everything you can to overthrow the wisdom, the counsel of Ahithophel, or I have no chance. That's the power of wisdom. What, what does Hushai do? He goes back, he ingratiates himself into Absalom's court, he gains Absalom's trust, and Absalom has to make this big choice. He has to say, hey, do I go and kill David now, or do I wait? I have to, I have to kill him, I have to get him sometime. But when do I do it? It's not a question of, you know, what to do. It's a question of when to do it. Do I do it now? Do I do it later? Ahithophel says, now. Why the Ahithophel? Go now. He's in grief. He's on the run. He's off balance. Get him. Take him. Strike. And Hushai says, very cunningly, very wisely himself, he appeals to the fear of Absalom and the vanity of Absalom. He says to the fear, hold on, Absalom. Wait a minute here. This is David. He's out there with his mighty men. You know David, he's battle-hardened. He killed Goliath. Saul couldn't catch him. You think you're going to do a better job than Saul? He might even elude you. He might even kill you. And then your poll numbers are going to crank. They're going to tank if, 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 he, if he eludes you and everybody knows you're trying to get him. And they says, oh, Absalom, you know what? He appeals to his vanity. You're so popular. You're totally popular. Everybody loves you. Just sit tight. Don't do anything. Don't hurt your poll numbers. The people will leave David. And he appealed to Absalom's vanity. He appealed to Absalom's fear. Absalom says, that's what I'm going to do, Hushai. I'm going to, no, no, don't take the risk. And the text says that when Ahithophel heard the decision, you know what he did? He saddled his donkey. He goes to his house, and he hangs himself. He kills himself. Why? He knew that if you reject wisdom, if you reject wise counsel, you can keep disaster away for a time, but not forever. Ahithophel saw what happened. Absalom did not know who he was. He was not wise. He did not know who he was. He rejected God. He rejected God's king. He did not know the way of wisdom. He, he was inferior, right? That's why he's vain. But he was also afraid of David. He had too tiny a view of his own strength and too great a view of his glory. He didn't have an accurate view of who he was. He, he wasn't wise. And therefore, he didn't choose his counselors right. If they didn't choose his counselors right, he made the ultimate foolish move and he lost the ground, right? The, the right deed, the right word, at the wrong time, in the wrong order, can destroy everything. That's the power. You see the power of wisdom, the importance of wisdom? Yes, Greg. <coughs> right, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. David sends, yeah, David sends to a, to a shy. 
Yeah, and Enos Ahithophel, absolutely. So, importance, definition, third problem. What's the problem with it? There's one huge problem we have, and the problem you see here in Job 28, look at verse 26. <clears throat> You'll see that we're, we're, we're talking here about God when God made creation. When he made a decree for the rain, when he made a way for the lightning of the thunder, then he saw it. What's it? Wisdom. He saw wisdom. He declared wisdom. He established wisdom. He searched wisdom out. I don't know if you realize this, by the way, but we need to. It's talking about creation, of course. And the creation account we have in the opening books of the Bible is completely unique. There's nothing else out there like it. If you read the Eastern creation account, you know, Buddhism, Hinduism, that sort of thing, the material world's an illusion. It's not real. It's an accident. It's not the reality. If you think about the Big Bang, it's an accident, right? If you read, however, the Western myths, the creation accounts, what's fascinating is that if you go, you can go to the Norse, you can go, you know, to the German, you can go to the Sumerian, you can go to the Babylonian, you can go to the Egyptian, read all of them. They all say in one way or another that there's a battle. The gods have a battle. Either the gods and the giants, the Greeks, right? The gods and the god, or this god, that god. Only here in the Bible, only here, do we have an account of the creation of the whole universe, not based on accidents, not based on a power struggle, but based on wisdom. You see that? It's all across the Bible. It's all across the Bible that God created with wisdom. In, in Proverbs chapter 8, that you see God actually delighting as an artist. He has this delight. Uh, wisdom is personified. Wisdom says, I rejoiced before God. Literally, I frolicked before God. In overwhelming joy and frolicking, God in wisdom designed the world to be a place of beauty. It's why you love beauty and order and joy and peace. This is why we get into the deep things here. This is why really... Um, Wisdom shows us, if, if God makes the world in wisdom and not as a power play and not as an accident, then that means there's a grain, there's an order, there's a beauty to the world. Now, I've used this illustration before, but you know it. If you pet a cat, if I pet my cat against the grain, what does the cat do? The cat don't like it. You know there's a grain to a cat. You pet it the wrong way, it's going to go round, not, not happy. You pet the right way, it's going to love it. It's a silly illustration, perhaps, but it's an illustration of what wisdom is. If wisdom made, if God in wisdom made the world, there's a fabric and a pattern to it. That may be good, right? There's a pattern to it. There's a fabric to it. There's a beauty to it. It's not random. It's not just hither and thither and yon. Your life is not just hither and thither and yon. And therefore, if wisdom made the world and the wise person can perceive that pattern and live in accordance with it and therefore live wisely. We know this when it comes to airplanes. There's a law of aerodynamics. An object that obeys the pattern of aerodynamics will fly. But if it disregards the rules of aerodynamics, it will crash and burn. This is the, this is the way in our relationships. If you don't live in accordance with the fabric of, that God made you as a human to be with other humans, you're going to crash. And it means there's a fabric, there's a pattern the spiritual reality. And if you operate your emotions and your conscience and your heart 
in a way that's not that's going against the grain of the fabric, against the grain of the pattern, your spiritual life will crash. That's what folly is. What, what is foolishness? It's going against the weave. It's going against the grain. It's going against the structure, the pattern. Now, there are two things we need to know about the pattern. To be wise. This is, why we, this is the problem. What's the problem of wisdom? The problem is that we need to know two things and we don't. The problem is that we need to know two things we don't know the two things. First thing we've already covered. First thing you need to know is that there is a pattern. The pattern exists. This, of course, is the error of uh, folks who aren't in church usually, right? That God has made the world. He made it with wisdom. And therefore, there's a pattern. There are principles by which life customarily works. On the other hand, and this is our error generally inside the church, this pattern is mostly hidden. The pattern exists, but it's mostly hidden from you. Think of the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is divided into two sections. One to nine, and then uh, ten and following, right? Ten to thirty-one. One to nine will be introduction. Proverbs. And then what, what happens is, as you break this down, in, in chapter 10 to chapter 15, if you, read the, if you read the book of Proverbs like in one sitting, which you should do sometime, or at least a couple of sittings, you realize in, in chapters 10 to 15, you get all the kind of classic one-sentence Proverbs, you know, the kind of basic, do this, this will happen. Don't do this, this, won't, this will happen. Kind of the, the when well, you think of a proverb, classic, pithy, one sentence. These, the, you get the pattern. You get the pattern. The pattern is laid out for you in the way life works. You work hard, you prosper, you're lazy, you'll be poor, you live according to absolutes, your life will go well. You raise a kid according to pattern, life will go well. She'll love you when she's old, et cetera, et cetera. And look, if you're a conservative person, you read that and say, yeah, that's the way life works. That's what I'm talking about. Work hard, you'll be great. You're lazy, you'll be poor. And then the problem is, chapter 16 hits you, and, and following, you get there, and then Proverbs lays on you the exceptions. There are some Proverbs that say, look, people who work hard stay poor because of oppression. There are some Proverbs that say, people who are godly have a lousy life. Do you know any Christians like that? <laughs> Maybe. I certainly do. It says some people raise their kids just perfectly. And when she grows old, when he grows old, he goes off the rails. Now, if you're a liberal, if you're a progressive person, you say, yeah, my life's messy. I knew it. You see, these are the two errors we have. These are the two errors we have. <clears throat> you can be a liberal fool or a conservative fool. If you think there's no pattern, you're a liberal fool. You think you can get the pattern yourself, you're a conservative fool. You can be a relative or a relativistic fool, a moralistic fool. We are all one or the other by temperament. If you want an example of the people who think they know it all, book of Job. Remember Job's suffering? His kids have died, his money's lost, his life's falling apart, his friends come tromping in. You know Job's friends, miserable comforters. What do they say? They've read Proverbs 10 to 15. They know all the rules. They know the principles. You live morally, you're going to have a good life. They look at Job. They say, Job, you're not living morally. What have you done wrong? They're harsh. They're rigid. They know there's a pattern, but they think they see it all. We're foolish. We're foolish. Um, 
yeah, I guess I got time to do this. Um, <clears throat> I guess the third thing about let's go to the solution now, right? Importance, definition, problem, solution. All right, what's the solution? I think there are two things here we need to see. That's okay. Then we'll maybe have time for a question or two. Uh, first, it is the way you study wisdom. How do you study wisdom? It's funny because I think most of us assume we study wisdom like we study the rest of the Bible. That is, we go and have our quiet time. We think about it. We maybe go to church, we hear some sermons on it. Cool. Most of us think we gain wisdom the same way we do everything else in this book. But what's funny is, I'm not discounting those ways, by the way. I'm not discounting that at all. But what's funny is the book of Proverbs itself tells you <laughs> that wisdom is not meant to be studied by yourself. It's not meant to be studied by yourself. The very first verse, I can prove this to you. It's very easy. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1. If I flip there, I'll get there one day. Here we are. <laughs> the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Tells you right there. These are not meant just for you. They're meant for families. That's why there's a son. They're not just meant for families, though. They're meant for a whole community, a whole nation. King of Israel. These are royal Proverbs. That tells you right there that the wisdom literature of the Bible is meant to be studied in a community, in a church, in a group, in a school, in a family. We don't do that. Because the issue is, you read the Proverbs, and there's no one proverb I can give you that tells you everything about how to raise a kid. There's no one proverb I can give you that tells you how to have a good relationship with your spouse. There are like dozens of them. There are plenty of them. And the problem is, we don't believe in that. We don't believe in it because science has, gives us facts about the world. We just know the facts. We don't believe it because we just believe in, in, in the, the Christian law, morality, and that's it. Friends, we need wisdom, especially when a lot of us have parents who weren't wise. Not everybody in this room had, had great parents. You may have had godly parents. That's great. I have godly parents. You may not have had wise parents, though. Hope you did. Hope you did. Maybe you don't have mentors, right? What's fascinating is that over and over again in the book of Proverbs, Wisdom is depicted as a gal. She's depicted as a gal, a lady, a lady who calls out. We'll get to that in, in the next few weeks. But here's a, here's, a, here's a solution, right? You can't just study wisdom. You need to love wisdom. And I'm cutting ahead here for time. You can love wisdom because wisdom is a person. You can love wisdom because wisdom is a person. My handwriting gets worse because the time crunch gets cheaper. <clears throat> you, can love, you can love wisdom because wisdom is a person. You know, there were books written during the, in between the Old and New Testaments. You know that, right? There are about 400 years, what we call the intertestamental period. There were books written between, you know, Gospel of Matthew, Book of Malachi. One of those books was a Jewish book about wisdom called, the, uh, called Sirach. Right, the, the book of the son of the wisdom of the son of Sirach. It's not a really insightful book. It's an interesting book, not, not really that insightful. But it, it says this in one place. Not biblical. Let me tell you this. Uh, here, here, here's a quote from it Turn unto me, you who are untaught. Why do you say you're lacking? And why are your souls so thirsty? I say to you, find wisdom. Put your necks under its yoke and bear its burden. See with your eyes that I have labored for it. 
and I have found my soul, uh, for my soul much rest. It's a basic command. Get wisdom. You better get it. Put, put your neck under its yoke. It's wisdom in the abstract, right? It's wisdom in the abstract. The Jews knew that one, right? The Jews in the first century knew that. And so then they have somebody come to them. When one sage, one teacher gets up and says before them, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He, Jesus Christ riffs off the son of Sirach, but he, he, he totally turns the tables on it. Look at the difference. The son of Sirach says, most uh, people say, get the yoke, discipline yourself, train yourself, follow the principles, and you'll be good. Jesus Christ says, no, come to me. Take my yoke upon you, learn of me, and I will give you rest for your soul. Do you know what Christ is saying here? He's saying, I am wisdom in the flesh. I'm wisdom in the flesh. I'm the wisdom of God. And if you get to know me, then you'll become wise. Wisdom is ultimately not a body of facts to matter. Wisdom is ultimately not a body of principles to master or memorize. You can memorize all the Proverbs and be a fool because wisdom is ultimately found in knowing Jesus Christ, living for him, learning from him. The only thing you can live for that won't exhaust you. He's the fount of wisdom. Just to conclude then, what's the meaning of life? What's the meaning of your life? What's the wise life? It's not about power. It's not about struggle, fighting to get your own. It's not an accident, certainly. But the deepest wisdom, the deepest secret of all social reality, all your relationships, all your life, all your decisions you make, is found in knowing and embodying God himself, Father, Son, and Spirit, together. That's why we find in Colossians 2, verse 3, that as the creator of all things, Jesus Christ has all the treasures of wisdom hidden in himself. Uh, maybe one question, I suppose, or comment, or concern, if y'all want to. I know I fire hosed you, but um, hopefully that's helpful. Or pushback, even. Pushback's fine. Colossians 2, verse 3. Colossians 2, verse 3. One question? All right, we'll have more questions. I'll, I'll, I'll force questions somehow. We'll get there. Uh, Jim, why don't you go ahead and pray for, for us? That's okay?